Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. I hope you're doing well today. Thanks for those of you guys who are here in the house. Thank you for those of you who are watching online. And if there's anybody out on the backstage patio, uh, I'm glad that you're here and I hope you're keeping warm. So anyway, hey, uh, today, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter one. We're going to be in Luke chapter one and in Luke chapter two. We're going to be both of those today. So uh, if you have your devices or your Bibles, you can do that today as we continue in our series called So This is Christmas. We've been taking a look at uh, the Christmas story and how even some of the figures in the Christmas story had a expectation that was different than their experience. And we started uh, a few weeks ago, it's in, we're in week three here today, we started a few weeks ago with the story of Joseph, Jesus's uh, earthly father, and how he had an expectation p- perhaps about his future that was changed and his experience might have been much different because of the birth of Jesus. And last week, we, and so we talked about future and we talked about how our future potential is at risk or in jeopardy uh, sometimes because of others and how we can, from God's word, try to resolve that and try to work through that. We talked last week about King Herod and how life spins out of control, and if we're not careful, we too will spin out of control. Anybody feel me today? Uh, and uh, so, yeah, uh, it, you know, it's the time of year. It's a great time of year for, uh, for that. And so how, what the Bible says about that and how we can be careful not to spin out of control when life turns and spins out of control. Today, we're going to be focused on Mary, uh, Jesus's mother. We're going to be focused on the fact that uh, in her life, and I know this is not what we think of when we think of Mary, but I believe that her life, especially those first few years, was probably filled with a tremendous amount of confusion. And confusion is something that has kind of reigned our lives for the past year and a half, two years. Am I right? It's been something that on a global scale we've seen play out, and it's affected our personal lives. And whether you came here today, whether you're within the sound of my voice, and confusion has kind of inserted itself into your life on that global scale, or maybe you personally have something going on in your home or your business or in your school, or with friends or relatives that may be causing confusion, or it may be financially, or it may be in your life personally, uh, I want you to know that God's Word, I believe, has a lot to say about how we, um, as people, can be led from a place of confusion to a place of calm with God's help. Today, what I want to do is I want to begin by praying and ask for God to lead us, but I also want to pray for the people who were affected by the tornadoes in Kentucky, um, because there were a lot of people who lost their lives and a lot of people whose lives have been pulled up and uprooted by that. So let's pray for our friends in Kentucky and pray that God would lead us this morning. Would you join me? Father, we thank you uh, for this opportunity we have to come and to worship you as we just have. God, I pray that you would lead us into your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us, that you would lead us in a knowledge and wisdom and understanding of your word. And Father, right now, I just want to pause and pray for the lives that um, were changed uh, on Friday because of the tornadoes in Kentucky. Those of us who have lived here in Hilton Head remember how storms 
affected our lives. We remember how a storm affected our life in 2016. And Father, uh, the death must be devastating. And I pray for those who have family members, who have friends, who have acquaintances, co-workers, fellow students, loved ones who passed away. I pray that you would be peace right now into their life. Father, I pray that you would guide them and direct them. God, I pray that you would be with them and give them a sense that you are leading and you are guiding. And Father, I pray for those whose homes have been destroyed, their businesses have been destroyed. Father, their lives have been destroyed in this awful, awful tragedy. I pray that you would give them a hope and that you would give them a future. And God, right now as we turn to your word, I pray for everybody within the sound of my voice who may have confusion in their life. Father, I pray that you would bring us clarity and calm over the confusing situations and circumstances that we may face on a daily basis. Lead us right now, if you would. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. There's a story about a uh, college student that uh, walked around with a, a giant K uh, on his shirt. And he walked around, he had a self-made t-shirt, and he had made it himself, and so you know, it kind of looked kind of corny or whatever. So someone came up and asked him, hey, what's that K all about? And he said, it's, uh, it, stands, uh, for, uh, it stands for chaos, and it stands uh, for confusion. And the man said, well, confusion doesn't start with a K. And he responded by saying, that's exactly how confused I am. <laughs> I think that defines our lives, doesn't it? The last couple of years. No one knows how confusing our lives are. No one understands how deeply confused our lives are. No one understands like, what's going on in the deep, the dark places of our, of our minds. We live in a world where confusion abounds in terms of a disease, in terms of finances, uncertainty about the future. Confusion abounds in the classroom, in our, in our world with values and how we live our lives. The world is confusing with a capital K. And then you start looking at our personal lives, and it gets even more confusing. Well, I think God's way of sending Jesus, sending the Messiah into this world to save the world is so amazing and it's so interesting and it's so incredibly unique. But the one who would give birth to the Messiah, Mary, Jesus's mother, I think she faced confusion. And I want to walk us through just two chapters in the book of Luke. Now, I want you to realize that I'm going to walk through the first about six years of Jesus's life in a very short period of time. I promise you'll get out for lunch, okay? So don't worry about that. But we're going to take a look at a lot of scripture today from Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2. But I want you to realize that this is only two chapters, of her life that I think was incredibly confusing. Let's pick it up in verse 26 towards the end when the angel Gabriel visits Mary, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. We talked about him two weeks ago of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one. I, I don't want you to miss that. We're going to come back to that in a second. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she 
was greatly, what's that next word? You can say it with me in, uh, in that next verse there in verse 29. She was greatly what? Troubled. Do you remember last week? Jesus was troubled right before he went to the cross. It's okay to be troubled. It's natural to be troubled. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, I think that we have scrubbed the Christmas story so clean that we don't have an understanding of all that they went through in Luke chapter 1 and 2. And specifically Mary. We don't have an understanding because we've made it look so nice. It looks so squeaky clean. It's, you know, it's so you know, covered in snow, if you will. So much so that I think we've taken the real story out of the story of Christmas. And it begins with the angel. This would have been incredibly frightening for Mary, who at the time was a teenager, who was a young, young woman. And this angel by the name of Gabriel visits her. Now, the picture that we have of angels is what we see on TV. It's what we see in pictures. It's what we see in movies, right? We, Cynthia and I, for all of, our, uh, all of our marriage, had an angel on the top of our tree that we put in the top of our tree, and we retired that angel this year. And we have a new angel that sits atop our tree, and she's beautiful. And, and for me, she's always watching the living room, right? She's looking over our living room and always watching it, but she's beautiful, and, and, and uh, you know, she's, she's glowing and glorious, and that would have been true. But the angel Gabriel, this would have startled Mary. We don't have any understanding of the real way that angels looked and appeared. And the fact that he would have shown up to a teenager and said, you are the favored one of God, would have shocked her. I don't know about you, but when I was a teenager, I did not feel like the favored one of God. And this angel visits, and I'm sure that she was afraid and troubled and probably disoriented in terms of what was going on. And in verse 34, we see it, Luke chapter 1, and Mary said to the angel Gabriel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And I'm sure that Mary said, oh, that clarifies things. Thanks for that answer. I'm sure that that just added to the pressure. I'm sure it added to the angst, to the fear. She was probably baffled and shocked, and I'm sure that she was confused. When I've been over to England, the first time I went over there was 2008. I, I learned a word that I never hear in the United States. The word is gobsmacked. We don't use that here in the United States. They use it all the time 
over in England. You hear it related to something that is a surprise beyond belief. And I bet Mary was gobsmacked, just taken, just totally surprised, but not in a necessarily good way. It would have been overwhelming and scary. And then we see that Caesar Augustus is the emperor and he ordered this census to be taken and everyone had to go to their birthplace to have the census taken and to be counted. And let's pick up in Luke chapter 2 verses 4 through 5. So here's Joseph. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea. He's traveling south with his wife who's pregnant, or his future wife who's pregnant, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now, ladies, I'm going to speak for all men here. We have no understanding of what it's like to be pregnant, so I understand that I don't understand, and I know that when I have a splinter, the house comes to a halt, okay? So that's true. My family's down here. They can attest that that is true. It's true for most men, okay? But I cannot imagine being pregnant and having to travel the length, and I'm going to tell you about the length that they traveled in a moment to go be counted. And I wonder if Mary was thinking, really? Really? Like the census couldn't have been taken six months ago? The census couldn't be taken six months from now? Caesar Augustus has to do that right now, right when I'm pregnant? And she wasn't driving a van with air conditioning and a heater and nice heated leather seats. She was on a donkey or another animal taking her all of this way to be counted. And I'm sure her journey to Bethlehem was incredibly uncomfortable. And I bet it added to her frustration. I would imagine she was probably like, hey, Joseph, you got to get a hotel. We've got to stop. We've got to stop. I'm sure she was irritated. It would have been natural, and it probably added to her confusion. Verses 6 and 7. And while they were there, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. I don't think we ever think about this. Think about this for a moment. I think she probably was like, we got to get down to Bethlehem. Let's be counted in the census because we have to. And then let's get back as soon as possible because I've got the hospital that I want to give birth at. Right? I've got the place. I've got the doctors in place. I'm ready to go up there. Let's get back. And while she was there, it was time for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, verse 7, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. And I talked, I think it was last week or the week before, about how they were probably in the third floor, the bottom floor, the basement, if you will, of an inn that would have been two or three stories high, not necessarily a stable. And some of you probably were terribly disappointed that I ruined the nativity scene for you. But I would imagine at the birth of Jesus that Mary may have felt trapped. She might have even felt disappointed, I'm sure, that she was uncomfortable. And ladies, wouldn't she have been concerned for her health and the health of her baby? You see, we, we clean this so much, we clean it up so much that we don't even think about what she might have gone through. She might have been terribly concerned about giving birth and why did this have to happen now? And why did it have to happen in the way that it happened? I'm sure that she was concerned about what might happen by giving birth and where she was and in the manner that she would have given birth. 
Jesus then, as he's born, he's later on in this chapter, he's presented at the temple for a time of purification, which was the thing that the Jewish people did with the firstborn child. And they would bring him in. And Simeon was there, one of the priests. And that uh, day he told Mary and Joseph that not only was this child holy, but that he would be a light, as we just sang about, but he would also be a light to the Gentiles. And I want us to read the response from his parents here. Luke chapter 2, verses 33 through 35. His father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Moms, imagine if on the 40th day of your child's uh, life in this earth, Someone with a religious background gave you that speech. It would be disconcerting. Again, confusing. What in the world is going on here? Jesus is presented in the temple, and I would imagine at that point in time with what Simeon said, she might have been in amazement or awe or wonder and even worry and even in fear. And then in Luke 2, 39 through verse 40, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. I I tried to add up and tried to figure out a little bit of the journey that they might have taken in the years before Jesus was six years old. Now remember that Mary is pregnant, She's either pregnant or she has a a toddler or an infant and a toddler and a child who's growing up during this time, and they were traveling on dangerous and rough uh, roads to and from the different places twice. They went from just from Bethlehem into Jerusalem, as we see in Luke chapters 1 and chapters 2. But I added this up. The journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem would have been about 80 miles. In day 8 of Jesus's life, he went 12 miles into Jerusalem and back. Day 40 of Jesus's life, once again, the journey from Bethlehem to Egypt, which we learn about uh, a little bit later, uh, would have been at least 40 miles and maybe a lot more. And the journey from Egypt to Nazareth would have been 106 miles. By the time Jesus was six years old, he and his family would have traveled 250 miles. It was like a progressive Christmas. (laughs) And this was probably something that she was worried about. At the return of Joseph and Mary, finally getting back home, I'm sure that she was probably like, man, I'm done. I mean, I don't even like traveling four hours in a nice van. I drive my family crazy after about the four and a half hour mark. And they were doing this on rough roads. It reminds me of my sister. Uh, When we were young, my family thought it would be a great idea. My mom and dad and grandparents thought it would be a great idea for the six of us to get into a Cadillac DeVille and drive on vacation from Tampa and Orlando all the way to Colorado two years in a row. No seatbelts, 
we sat in the, you know, in, down in the back of the car with either my parents or grandparents back there with us. All the luggage in there, I mean, it was a Griswold. It totally was like a Griswold thing. And my sister, we were given pads to draw, and that's all we had was pads to draw on. And she drew a picture of herself in jail. I promise you, this is true. She drew a picture of herself in jail. <laughs> Mary probably would have done the same thing. Like, this is awful. This is awful. And then Jesus grows up and they go into Jerusalem and he's older now. He's getting into his teenage years and he's, he's meeting with some of the other rabbis and the, the leaders, the religious leaders of the day. And he's in the temple and it's time for them to leave Jerusalem to go back home once again. And they leave and they think that they have left with Jesus. Parents, listening to my voice, has this ever happened to you? Has this ever happened to you? You're probably like, yes, it did, but I don't want to admit it in church. It's probably happened to all of us at some point in time where you leave and you're like, hey, where's little Tommy? He is supposed to be with us. He's not with us. And this is what happened to Mary and Joseph. They're leaving Jerusalem. And after three days, after three days of searching, verse 46 of Luke chapter 2, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard were in amazement at his understanding and his answers. And I wish I could fill in the blanks here because it would probably be like, except for Mary right? Except for mom, who's been worried. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. But his mother and his mother said to him, I love this son. Why have you treated us so? Why did you do this? Can you imagine being Jesus's mom and dad? Why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great, what's that next word? Stress. Mary's troubled. Mary's distressed. We have this picture that is not right. I am sure that Mary, in her life, in those early days of Jesus' birth and raising him, was terribly confusing. You don't know how confused I am, maybe your mantra right now. I think it's been all of our mantras. It's been all of what we've talked about. But I want you to see that Mary somehow overcame the confusion and leaned into the calm and became content. Luke 1, 38, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. And she says, Let it be. Let it be to me according to to your word, and the angel departed from her. I've read this verse dozens of times in my lifetime, maybe even, maybe even you know, as many as 50 or 100 times. And the other day, those three words, let it be, just stuck with me. And the first thing I thought of is what? The Beatles, right? Paul McCartney writing this song, Let It Be. I'm not going to sing it for you, even though Ben, our kids pastor, he told me to sing it for you. I'm not going to do that to you because I love you. But he wrote this song, and he wrote it during a period of time when the Beatles were breaking up in the 60s, and things were really bad, and he was in dire straits. And in the middle of the night, he had a dream, and his mom came and spoke those words over him. This is Paul McCartney. I don't know if he ever made the biblical connection, You know what his mom's name was? Mary. I don't know if he ever made that connection. 
But you know what? This is Mary, Jesus' mom. This is her response. I'm your servant. Let it be. I wish I could have that response to confusion. Don't you? I wish I could have that kind of response when I'm confused. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be. But she doesn't just say, let it be. Let chance happen. Let it be luck. She says, let it be what? According to your word, God. Luke 1, verses 46 and 47, this is this song that Mary sings about the greatness of God called the Magnificent. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Luke 2, verse 19, Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. Luke 2, 51, Jesus went down with them. This is after she scolded him and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. I love that part, right? That's for all of you kids who have parents that you think are too harsh, all right? Jesus did. He was submissive. And his mother treasured up all of these things in her heart. She was troubled, yet the calm came. And I believe that the calm came because Mary did the things in her life. And we have little indications of it, and we have to fill in the blank here and there. But I think that she did the things in her life that lead us to calm from God's word. There are three things that I, I want you to learn today, and I want me to learn. I want us to learn today about moving from a place of confusion in our lives to a place of calm. And I also want to say this. This is me preaching to me as well and teaching to me as well. Because I miss this a lot. I let confusion guide me, but we have to let God guide us. Point number one, God will guide us to clarity when we seek him. He will guide us to clarity when we seek him. We have, I think we have this idea, I know I do, that we just have to, we just have to kind of put up with the confusion. Or we have to force order into our confused world. And neither of those extremes are, are what God has called us to do. I believe he's called us to seek him because he's a God of order. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of, what's the next word? Peace. He can lead us to peace. The Apostle Paul instructs a young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.7, Think over what I say. Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. You need understanding today. You need clarity where there's right now confusion. Follow God's lead. Let him be the one who guides you. There's going to be more on that next week. Psalm 119, the psalmist cries out, give me understanding. He's not asking conventional wisdom. He's not asking for the world. He's not asking for society. He's not asking for some sage. He's crying out to God, give me understanding. I got to be honest with you. There are times when the world is so confusing. That's all I can utter. God, give me understanding. Give me understanding. And maybe that needs to be something that you remember. Give me understanding 
as we navigate this Christmas season where we don't have enough money, but everybody expects the gifts. Give me understanding when I have to go to my in-laws and be happy about it. (laughs) Give me understanding when the kids are sick in the middle of Christmas. And I got the phone call about that person that I love who is dealing with some sort of disease. Give me understanding. John 16, says, When the Spirit of truth come, this is Jesus telling his disciples what's going to happen when he's gone. He says the Spirit of truth will come. That's the Holy Spirit. He will guide you into all truth. It's why I will often pray, guide us into truth and knowledge of your word today before I teach. It's not about me leading us. It's about the Holy Spirit leading us. And he can guide you and he can guide me into wisdom. For he will not, uh, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Point number one. We've got to allow God to be our guide. The second thing that we have to do, and this is so incredibly hard, is we have to inspect our minds When confusion in our world abounds, the first thing to go is our minds. We lose sight of what God has called us to do in our minds. See, a transformed mind leads to clarity in our lives. We have to stop and inspect our minds. I know when I take the bait of the evil one, it begins here. Does it for you? I get focused on something, one little thing that somebody said or bothered me, and I pull on that string, and I pull, and I pull, and I pull, and all of a sudden, I'm not focused on the things that, of God. I'm focused on the things of me, of Todd. There's a rhyme for you. <laughs> like we do that all the time. We get focused on the one little thing in our world that is bothering us so much and we pull on that and that's all we focus on. And the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians 4, 8, 9, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. See, this is the part that we can play in allowing us to go from a place where our world is confused to calm. Do you notice that I said that the confusion may still be... I I didn't say that it would be order. But we can go from a place where confusion still exists, but we're calm. It begins in our mind. This is the part we play. The other part, honestly, is up to God. The second part involves us as well, too. Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what's good and acceptable and perfect. You see, the problem is, is that I know that for me, when, when I see confusion out there and I start pulling on that string and I start obsessing about that one little thing, I'm being transformed by that and not by God and his word. And that leads me to the last point. Not only do we need to allow God to be our guide, not only do we need to stop and inspect our minds, but lastly, we've got to consume God's word. Consume his word. 
Spending time in God's word will bring clarity where there is now confusion. God's word is the prescription for the disease of confusion. We don't have a full prescription for the diseases of our world, do we? Pandemic and everything else. But God can bring clarity where there's confusion if we look to his word. The psalmist in Psalm 119, 169, he says, Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me, once again, he says, Give me understanding according to your word. According to your word. In verse 105 of that same chapter, he says, For your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. And my challenge to all of us, myself included, all of us who are Christ followers and there's confusion in our world is that we stop for a moment and check to make sure that God is our guide. That we stop and allow our minds truly, honestly to be inspected. To make sure that we're focused on the things of God. And I want us to stop and ensure that we are consuming God's word and that we're not consuming all the things of the world, but we're consuming and relying on his word that can transform us, that can lead us from a place of confusion to a place of calm. This is the Christmas season. One of the things that we celebrate is light, right? We celebrate light this time of year. Jesus said in John chapter 8, he was talking to his disciples and he said, he, it says he spoke to them and he said, I am the light of the world. And you and I may not get all the answers that we're looking for in the midst of confusion, but we can have light shed in those dark, dark places of our life. If we will allow him to do that. I've told the story before, I'm sure my kids get sick of it, but on a Belize, the first Belize trip that I took with, with a team from this church, we, uh, we went cave canoeing, and uh, cave canoeing in, in Belize is awesome. There's a six-mile cave into a mountain in Belize. It's incredible. And you get in a canoe, and you go back, and we had five or six canoes with three people each, and the person that's on the front has a lamp that is attached with like wires that look like they were made in the 1950s to a battery that's sitting in the boat. I mean, you're this far from water and you have a battery and a light that's guiding you, right? I mean, it just is the picture of something that is unsafe, right? Some of you are cringing right now, I realize, yeah. So. And we get back about a mile and a half and our guide says, all right, everybody turn out your lamps. I've never seen Darkness, like I saw that day. Pitch black. As dark as you'll ever see. And your world may be, have a cast, a shadow on it of darkness because of confusion that is so intense. But he is the light. And he can help guide you to a place of calm. And you know what calm breeds? Contentment. That's what calm breeds. That's my prayer for us as a church, is that we would allow the light of God to lead 
us, the light of Jesus, the one that we celebrate and that we sing about this season. And so right now, I'm just going to ask if you would just pray with me. And Father, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for Mary. I want to thank you for those words. I am your servant. Let it be according to your word. And Father, right now in the strong name of Jesus, I pray that you would help those who are within the sound of my voice, who may be watching or listening, maybe here in the house or out on the backstage patio or wherever they are. Father God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would help those who came to this point right now today with massive confusion. Darkness that's beyond comprehension. Chaos that is hard to even accept. If you're in that place right now, I'm just going to ask you, just in the quietness of your heart, just to admit it to God. He knows anyway. Just tell him what you're confused about. Just be honest with him in this moment. Father, I pray for those who are willing to just say, hey, I'm confused, God, about this thing in my life. These things, this overwhelming situation and circumstance, Father, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would allow them to let you be their guide. Father, I pray if they're following anything else, that they would just let go of that and grab onto your hand. Father, I pray for myself and everyone within the sound of my voice who the struggle of confusion begins in their mind. Father, I pray for the strongholds to be let loose, God. The chains would come off and that they would pause and inspect their minds, that I would inspect mine, that we would check to make sure that we're following you in, in our minds. God, I pray that we would consume your word. I pray that we would just eat it up, that we would take it in and that it would transform us, that we would stop being transformed by the natural man, the society around us, culture around us, but we would be transformed by your word. Help us, Father, this Christmas season, but in our lives to allow your light to shine in the dark place of our lives. God, may we trust you, the light of the world. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people say.